the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. With great love, perhaps by emotion, they're joined together at the altar and saying, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. They join marriage, go off into a wonderful honeymoon. They stay married for X amount of years. And then they find that although they thought the relationship was good, one of those partners was out betraying the other partner and the one finally found out about it. You might be right now stinging and nauseous because it's happened to you. You might have had a loved one, a child, a brother, a sister, or you lived through it when it happened to your own mom and dad. You lived through that pain of betrayal. And I wanted you to feel that for just a moment because while you're experiencing this, the sense of I'm trusting, I'm loving, I'm caring, and you're betrayed, what did Jesus do? He didn't merely flick him off. He knew ahead of time that even Judas was going to do this. And he manifested the love. So again, he tells us to love others. At the same time, he does it to show us how to do that, even to the point of the cross. And he does this to show us that we can love others. Now again, accepting and loving is a whole lot different than approving and condoning. There is a difference there. Well, let's go back to this passage, if you will. I would like you to pick it up for just a moment in John chapter 13. And I'm going to start here, if you will, at verse 18. And I'm going to take a few moments to give you a little running commentary because I want you to see how this all began to develop because we're pretty much at the end of Jesus' life right here. And things are happening with Judas pretty rapidly because he's the one who betrays Jesus in this context as well as in the other Gospels, it's said. Verse 18, he says, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the Scripture may be fulfilled. Go back to the phrase that says, I don't speak of all of you. Go up to verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. So when he speaks in verse 18, he's basically preparing them to let him know that there is one who's a traitor in the midst, and I want you to remember this, especially in the coming hours that we're going to face together as brothers. And he says, and I know the ones I've chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. Someone had to betray him. We knew that in the Old Testament. And the scripture that's fulfilled is the one we read to you in Psalms. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Well, let me ask you this, if you might feel this a little bit. How many of you have a a pet or a dog or a cat that you love so much? And while you're enjoying that little pet, for whatever reason, you get this Cujo dog that goes nuts on you and starts biting you, or a cat that you're petting and all of a sudden, and it scratches you in the face. If you had something like that, that would be like a heel rising up against you. In this case, it wasn't that Judas slapped or bit Jesus. It was that he rose up against him by selling Jesus out to the Jewish leaders. Let's go back to the passage. So he's explaining what's going to happen in the near future. 
And then verse 19, he says, From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does, guys, you may believe that I am. The word he there is not found in the original. So he's saying, I want you to know again, I'm not just Jesus. I am the great I am. I am God in the flesh. So there's a lot of deity in that statement. Verse 20, truly, truly, and that's a phrase he uses over and over again in the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, or I ain't going to tell you a lie right now. I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, when I read that portion there, I thought, as I read the narrative, I thought, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems like it kind of jumped out of the flow, and somehow John threw this in here, and then he moved on in verse 21. But the more I meditated on this passage, the more I was understanding the bigger picture. So if you will, just give me a moment to explain what he's saying here. He's saying, I've chosen all of you, I've even chosen the one who's going to reject me. This is the one that's going to come against me. But I'm telling you ahead of time because it's going to happen and something big is coming down the road. And I'm sure that some of these guys are listening to all that and they're saying, huh, what in the world are you saying? Jesus is also reminding him, them this, that I'm sending you out. Meaning that even when Judas, in the future, will come against him with all these guys and Jesus finally dies, it doesn't mean, here it is, the end of a movement. That Jesus says, even though I'm gone and I won't be with you, I'm still sending you out. And whoever receives you will be receiving me. Now let me see if I can make sense out of that, as if I'm one of those apostles. I'm not. We're just relaxed. The apostle, that word, apostle means sent one, which fits into the context, sending out. So a sent one. In a sense, God sent me here to Hawaii for a time such as this. The apostles were given a message from the Lord, and they spoke that message. We have a lot of the New Testament that was written because of those apostles and Paul coming back over here. I am sent one, but I don't have an, an unusual additional message from God. I have a message from God, and it's all wrapped up in Scripture. Saying all that now to say this. The logical train is, if you receive me in what I'm saying then you'll be receiving Jesus because what I'm saying would be the words of Jesus. And now, when you receive the words of Jesus, then you are receiving the words of God. So the word of God is through Christ, through me. So when you come, you may be listening to a handmade sermon, but it's only going to be biblical as I stick to the context and the proper correct interpretation of it, and that's how you're receiving it. So that's why the Lord dropped that little phrase in there, getting them ready to know that Judas is going to come, there's going to be a tremendous problem coming in the future, but you are still sent, so stay on mark, stay on message. Now let me just say this. <clears throat> Boy, I hope I'm not giving this to Satan. I think I'm not. Here we go. If something happened to me, I'm trying to walk before the Lord in purity, I can look before you right now that there's no moral infraction going on in my life, but if something happened to me where I dropped dead, I hope I don't. Or if I get incapacitated where I cannot stand before you, the same thing would be true. Those words that you heard from the Word of God, those things that you listened to on the message, even in my absence, the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and the discipleship of those believers to become fully devoted followers of Christ, that message must carry on way beyond Stan and Carol Ponds, whatever might happen to us. Now, don't read more into that other than to let you know it's not based upon one human leader. The message goes on. Even when Jesus died and he rose again, that message needed to go on. Back to the passage. Again, the passage is getting ready to remind us about loving each other. So he says this, whoever receives me receives those, him who sent me, which would be the Lord. Now verse 21. 
When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit. Now, next week, I'm going to begin a brand new series in chapter 14. That series is going to be wrapped around the whole concept of a troubled heart. I'll open up that aspect of troubling here because Jesus says in chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. And so I want to give a, a series on comfort for the troubled heart. Now, why do I want to do that? Because Jesus in chapter 14 is now piggybacking chapter 13 here because he's talking about loving, getting his 12 guys ready to reach the world, serve them, love them. And now, when trouble comes, and they will come to those 11 guys that will be remaining because Judas commits suicide, you're going to find that as trouble comes their way, Jesus is still saying, the message must go on, but don't be troubled, and I want to show you how your heart won't be troubled. So whatever God has called you to be, and there will be many things. He's called you to be a parent, a husband, a wife, a particular player on your job, whatever it might be. That's a job. It's to bring money in for sure to keep the mechanism going, but also it's a ministry. Let not your heart be troubled no matter what is thrown at you. Jesus is about ready to model that. The question is, is what troubled the heart of Christ? It'd be interesting to know that because what troubled Christ's heart should be what troubles our heart. And sometimes we let other things trouble our heart that it trumps that which should trouble our hearts. So now I don't have time to unpack this. I wish I had thousands of hours to do this. But what's troubling Jesus' heart is really found in the next part of the phrase. So stay in context. So he says this, and he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you that one will betray me. Now let's stop there. That's what troubled his heart. Now, when I look at that and I say, what about Christ got his heart troubled over Judas? Now, again, it goes back to who is Judas? Judas was an incredible individual because he heard and watched Christ for almost three years. It troubled him because he knew that no matter how much Judas had heard and watched of his life, Judas would still, watch this, give his heart and soul over to Satan, and Satan would enter into Judas, and the whole thing would begin to unravel. That's human action underneath the divine sovereign plan of God. God knew it was going to happen. He used that plan of man to override it by having Judas do this to bring Christ to the point of the cross, death, and resurrection. That troubled him. It troubled him when he saw Judas who did not have to do that because Jesus says, if I can save all of these, I can save you. He rejected all of that. So my question to you is, what should trouble our hearts? I think perhaps the same thing. Yeah, there may be people that will betray us, but watch this. I don't care so much if they betray me. What really hurts is when they betray Christ. This morning, um, one of our staff members was in my office and I was just sharing with him my heart a little bit about this. I was saying, you know, people wonder, does it bother Stan when someone is a part of the church and then they leave the church and they go somewhere else? Does it really bother him? Does it bother him when, when they might talk about him? And, and I know it's hard for you to believe that people would, but believe me, they do and they will and they always will. That's just life. And I probably do the same too and I, I wish I didn't. But here's my point. If people want to know inside of me what really bothers me, it's not so much that they might rag on me my style, my personality, all of that. But what really hurts is when they would leave a church that would be sound in doctrine, teaching that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, would go to a church that muddies that message, would be a church that does not have an accurate understanding of the Holy Spirit and gifts. And they end up going there because of music or, or, or style of stuff. Because then what's happened is they have taken all the external byproducts and put that over the very word of God. And so I'm asking you, what would be the greatest thing that would betray you? Not that they left you because they like somebody else. That hurts. I don't want to doubt that. I'm not denying that. 
But I'm saying that which should trouble our hearts would be whatever someone else says or does that would be anti-biblical, anti-Christ, anti-the whole kingdom issue for the Lord. So ask yourself, what are the things that ultimately trouble you? The rest of it we can deal with. And we'll talk about that next week because he's going to talk about it. But back to here, that's what's troubling him. So now something else happens. Now verse 22, it says, the disciples began looking at one another. They're at a loss to know. Who's he speaking of? Remember, nowhere yet do we know that it's Judas. If you were one of the guys eating this dinner at the Passover, the Last Supper, we might say, you'd be looking at each other. Who's he speaking about? There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you read that phrase and you just go right on to the next one. I like to ask the question, who is this disciple whom Jesus loved? I know he loved all of them. But he also had a closer group of Peter, James, and John. So you had the, the wonderful little trio going. But out of those three, which would be the one that Jesus loved? It is my belief that that person that would be identified as the one Jesus loved. Didn't say the only one he loved. Remark, mark that. It's not the only one. So it's not like Jesus had favorites. It is to say that he loved this guy. Who would it be? I believe it was the writer of the Gospel of John. God's the author. The writer of it, though, is John. You'll find that phrase mentioned throughout the Gospel of John, starting here and going through the end of the Gospel of John, but his name is never mentioned. Now, when it says they're reclining together, you could look at the context. We taught you that a couple weeks ago, so you know. They're laying down, basically almost like at a picnic kind of a deal. Maybe there would be a table, but it would be a little bit off the ground, like when you go to some of the luau's up in the front, they had those lower tables. And they're all lying down. In most cases, you'd lie or lean on your left arm because most people are right-handed. And you would be eating and shoveling it in and all the guys would kind of be around the table lying down. It was reclining. That's why you see the word reclining, not sleeping. We heard that on Wednesday night as well. Now, when John laid upon his bosom, that would mean that John would be on the right-hand side of the Lord with his head kind of leaning back this way. And I know those of you that are listening on the Internet or radio, you can't see this. They're kind of leaning on him right now and there's something about to happen. Now, where would Judas be? In my opinion, I believe Judas was on the left side of him over here. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. They're speculative, so take that to the bank. I'm not saying for sure. It's speculative because in just a moment, you're going to see that Peter and the group asks a question to John. John then kind of looks up to Jesus and he answers this question, asks the question to Jesus. Jesus then gives an answer at the same time he then talks over here to Judas. Now, I know the rest of the group somehow either missed it all because they were chattering and talking. You know how sometimes you're all eating at a table, maybe at a noisy restaurant. I don't think this was a noisy restaurant, but it could have been a lot of chatter. Somehow they missed this little dialogue going on between the Jesus and Judas and, 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 and maybe Peter a little bit. And then you had John going on. Another reason is generally the person of honor would be at the left-hand side at a special dinner. I think you might be saying, why would he honor Judas? Again, the theme of this message is to love others, and the two people to love would be the ones that's the most difficult. Those would be the betrayers in your life, those that will reject your values, reject who you are, reject whatever you stand for, and then the other would be, and I'll tell you about that in a moment if I don't run out of time. So you'll have two of those kinds of people. So now you've got this chatter going on, and they're lying down, and John would be the one leaning back on Jesus' bosom. Let's go back to the passage now. And then verse 24, so Simon gestured to him, to who? Not Jesus, but to the one leaning on Jesus' bosom, and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he, now referring to Jesus, is speaking. 
So it might have been a whisper. It might have been something casual. It might have been while everybody else is chattering. But we do know that he's asking John. Maybe it's because John is there leaning on Jesus' bosom. He's up close. So you're right there. You go ask him. Who is this one that's going to betray you? And so then here's the answer. And leaning back on thus on Jesus' bosom, he said to him, that's John now speaking to Jesus, Lord, Lord, who is it? And then Jesus answered, this is the one for whom I shall dip, this is the one whom I shall dip the morsel, I give it to him, and you'll know. So then Jesus, he has his little morsel, and he dips that morsel, and if you were here Wednesday night, you would know what they dipped it in, the hyssop, etc., they're part of this Last Supper thing going on, and he took and he gave that morsel to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. That's how he got the name Judas Iscariot, basically like a first and a last name. And after the morsel, Satan then entered into him, not John, not Peter, but Judas. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, you do it quickly. Now, again, the guys didn't know what was going on. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But he is now setting the stage and he's getting ready to release Judas to do this. Well, if you look back at your notes, I want to just highlight a couple of things that might help you as you sense what's happening with Jesus and loving. If you'll remember earlier in the chapter, Jesus washed Judas' feet. So let me just bring that as an application to you and me. There will be people in your life that you will serve. You will do the dirty thing to make their life cleaner. You will give something of yourself to lighten the load of someone else. Jesus did that. He already knew this person would betray him. He did not stop his love for Judas, even though he knew what Judas would ultimately do. He washed his feet equally as he did everyone else. And there's a lesson in that. You might have children in your family, and, and you might have some that are quick to warm up, and they're easy to be around. You like them. You kind of connect with them. You have others that are slow. It takes you a lot of time. And then you have those hard-to-warm-up kids, those hard-to-love kids. And it's very easy, and parents often make this mistake, and I could understand why they would. They roll in the direction of the one they take up for. And then the other mate defends the others, and now you've got a house divided. And here is an example of someone who got their feet washed, treated as an equal, even though you knew that they weren't. Secondly, Jesus sat Judas on his left side, again, knowing what would happen, but still not dissing him or dishonoring him, still treating him, perhaps allowing this situation to occur so he can model what it means to love the unlovely and the betrayers. How important that is. But he also did something else. He gives them that little bit of morsel. Now there's some debate. Some people say that the person who's the host would often take the little morsels and give it to the people to eat around the table. I could be that. It might be that. Probably is that. But maybe that doesn't fit our culture. You know what I think of? I think of and this sounds kind of weird, but it'd be like if you go to a Mexican restaurant. Have you ever had chips in front of you and some salsa? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. And when they bring it, you're so glad because you can't wait to get your chips and dip it in there. And you wish they'd bring your own chips and they're just going after that. But now, let's say you took your chip. Watch this, guys. Guys, you'll relate real well. Take your chip. Your wife has already said, now, no, double dip. Don't double dip. You dip it. You eat it. That's it. Start with a new chip. You don't think about that. You dip it. You get your chip. You put some salsa on it, but instead of you eating it, you give it to someone else and bring it up to their mouth to eat. Now, if I saw a bunch of guys at a Mexican restaurant and a couple of guys doing that to one another, I'd wonder, hmm, wonder what's going on. It's really a sign, truly, of love and intimacy. You know, some of you have done that. Do you remember when you got married? Do you remember after you said the vows and 
after you've done all the fun stuff, they bring this beautiful wedding cake out in front of you. What do you do once that cake is put out in front of you? You cut the cake, and then what do you do? You take that cake and you feed it to your mate. And all the rest of us are saying, okay, smash his face, smash his face, you know. And that happened to Carol and me. Not that we smashed each other's face, but I thought, you know what, we need to honor each other. So I tried to get the smallest piece because her mouth is so small. And I wanted to feed it in her, and she's feeding. It's a sign of intimacy. It's a sign of serving. It's a sign of connecting. It's bringing this together to say, I love you. Now, I don't think Judas dipped his and gave it to Jesus. But I think what was happening here is that there was something very special. But behind all of that, Jesus was answering the question. Because he said, who is it? They said, who is it? He said, the one I dipped the morsel. So he did all of that. So he's sending a signal. So there's kind of like a double message going on here. Do you think these guys got it? Absolutely not. Go back to the passage again. These guys just didn't get the message. goes on here. After he dipped it, we know he took it and gave it to Simon. And Satan entered into him. That's another whole concept, but it really happens. Judas at that time totally gave his soul over to Satan. There was no more hope for him. I can only imagine for a moment what that must have been like because Judas not only heard all of this stuff, he's seen it all, all the messages about greed, all of the messages whether he heard already that there'd be one that would betray him and it'd be worse for that person to even be born than to betray the Son of God. He knew all of that stuff and yet he knew it all and he rejected it. I'm thinking about those who hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. And yet they hear it again and again and they keep getting a stiff back and they say, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. There's always hope for that person before they die to trust Christ. But I will tell you, it becomes more difficult because Satan continues to own and bind and confuse and blind those people from the gospel. And I don't know where you are right now, but please don't do this. Because you're only setting the cement of your heart. In this case, Satan actually took over completely. Now let's go back to verse 28. It says, Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. Now why did he say this about the morsel and the... What's going on right here? For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we have need of for the feast. So go on out. Do it quickly. Go get some more stuff here. We're going to have a feast. We don't have enough stuff. That would be telling us that uh, they, and perhaps Jesus, you know, but in this case, they saw that he carried the money, he was responsible, he was the servant, he, he was kind of like the treasurer of the group. He was the guy that took care of the money. But then others were saying, no, no, maybe uh, he's going to give something to the poor. Sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? So they're thinking, gee, Judas is really responsible, or wow, he's really compassionate. However, look up here for a moment. Do a scripture search and you're going to find that it says about Judas in other places that he wanted to take care of the money because he pilfered from it. In fact, he got so upset when Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a special dinner of honor for Jesus that Mary then poured this expensive perfume on Jesus and that perfume was so expensive it was like one year's salary. So in your mind, how much do you get paid a year? Think about all that in one bottle of ointment and then pour it on somebody. Now, that's what was going on. Judas was livid over this. He was so upset that she would do this because he pilfered from it. So I don't know how much money he had on the box, but he would be buying things for himself. Now, here's something very interesting. Remember the story I just told about Mary, Martha, porn, all that? That happened just a day or so before this event. That could have been the final touchstone that finally said, I'm not a part of the group. I'm very bitter. I'm greedy. How could they do this? 
And he really, at that time, allowed a circumstance for him to totally reject Christ and Satan now to enter into his life. And here's what I'm saying. Some of us could be looking at life around us and we could begin looking at that and defining it for ourselves. And we're now saying, this gives us right to, quote, not love. This gives us right not to be the way we should be. And all of a sudden, we've given ourselves over to Satan and that will hinder us from having a relationship with someone else that God would want us to have. So that's what's going on in this portion here. Now let's see what happens next. So after receiving the morsel, he went on immediately and it was night. I like what a lot of commentators said when they said it was night. It wasn't just that it was night time, although it was. It was like total blackness takes over at this time. It was like the darkness of sin. It was like this was the last bit of hope at that moment for what was going on in Judas's life. So over Jerusalem, over Judas, over the event, there was a night that came in. Let me talk for a moment about those that might betray you. Remember what I said? These guys couldn't pick out Judas. One reason is because Judas was treated the same like everybody else by Jesus. Betrayers are hard to spot. Some of those that do the most damage to you emotionally are those that betray you. And the pain is just so extensive. I was on staff of a Bible college years ago. And the president of the school had a massive moral failure. He brought everybody into a room, played a tape... And he walked out to his adult children crying and the wife crying. And we're listening to this about his moral failure and that he was leaving and going off somewhere. I was in the dean's office at the time as a staff member. And there was three responses from people that were around us after this. The first response was, I can't believe it. Is that really true? It's just, it must, someone's making this up and he's having to do this because they're lying about him. They denied it completely. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.